Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. KCAA Loma Linda, 10.50 a.m., 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. NBC News Radio, I'm Tom Roberts. FBI agent Peter Strzok says his work at the Bureau was never affected by his personal political opinions. In a contentious House hearing today, South Carolina Representative Trey Gowdy said political bias has no place in the FBI. Agent Strzok had Hillary Clinton winning the White House before he finished investigating her. Agent Strzok had Donald Trump impeached before he even started investigating him. That is bias. President Trump is in Britain today on the second stop of his European tour. Thousands are expected to protest Trump's two-day visit. The Trump administration says it has completed reunifying eligible migrant children under the age of five with their parents. They say 57 children have been reunified as of today, while another 46 were found to be ineligible. Prosecutors in Ohio are dropping charges against adult film star Stormy Daniels. Daniels attorney Michael Avenatti says misdemeanor charges of illegally touching a patron at a Columbus strip club were dismissed today. Tom Roberts, NBC News Radio. If you or a loved one was seriously injured in an accident with a semi-truck or an 18-wheeler truck, you need to act fast. I'm attorney Daniel Rudbari. I know how to fight truck companies. Call me, 800-325-1454 for your free consultation. 800-325-1454. Truck accident cases are different than an auto versus auto accident. There are so many more issues involved when dealing with a truck accident case. There are federal regulations and state regulations, several different companies that may be involved. I can immediately gather the evidence, get you the medical care you need with no deductible and no copay to you, and get you the compensation and the money you deserve for your injuries. And if there's no recovery, there's no fees charged to you. I'm attorney Daniel Rudbari. I know how to fight truck companies. Call me, 800-325-1454 for your free consultation. 800-325-1454. Tired of paying outrageous prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news for you. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts. Healthy Man allows you to save up to $500 on Viagra. Why pay U.S. pharmacy prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get Viagra for less than $3 a pill? Call today and get 40 Viagra pills for only $99. This can cost as much as $600 at your local pharmacy. You can't afford not to call us. If you want Viagra at the lowest prices, never pay $15 a pill for 
pharmacy prices again. Get Viagra for less than $3 a pill. Call 1-800-643-6931 today and save up to $500 and get 40 pills for just $99. Healthy Man is fast, easy, and affordable. Operators are waiting at 1-800-643-6931 to take your call now. Call 1-800-643-6931. That's 1-800-643-6931. Again, 1-800-643-6931. Drivers, when it's time to visit the DMV, avoid the long lines and save time by calling toll-free 833-DMV-LINE. That's 833-DMV-5463. This is KCAA. NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 10.50 a.m., 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful, sunny California. Thanks for tuning into the Water Zone this afternoon. I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davies. And uh, Chris, how are you doing today? Splendid, Rob Starr. Thank you for asking. It's going to be a good show today. It is. Uh, we're finally into uh, one full week. It was nice last week having the day off right in the middle of the week, but uh, almost the end of a full week here. Well, I'm tired. I just flew in from Northern California. My arms are killing yeah, me. but they look pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I went to 13 stops in, in three days <laughs> and 400 and something miles driving once I got up there. Certainly no moss growing on your feet, for sure. No, no, no. But I'm glad to be back. Glad, to, right. glad awesome. to be at home. Glad yeah. to, you know. Anyway, got tons, tons of stuff to do. Big good. week. Yep. A lot done. of news this week as well. Absolutely. On the and we have somebody who's very famous now. Well, mm-hmm. This person was very famous before we knew her. We needed her yep. more than she needed us. Yep. Yep. <laughs> She's the purveyor of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin. Welcome, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. Hey, we we wanted to toot your horn, but we were told by our HR department we're not allowed to do that. So we're going to ask you to do your own. <laughs> tell, <laughs> no, I, we want to, again, congratulate you on your most recent award. And, and can you kind of tell us, well, we know, but tell tell our listening audience what it was and how does it feel to get it? Oh, you know, it's really great. It was really nice uh, acknowledgement. Uh, it was from uh, an organization called the Bay Institute, and they're actually an environmental organization um, that advocates for, uh, you know, better uh, flows and things for San Francisco Bay as well as the Delta. And they uh, they honored me with an award for environmental journalism that a lot of uh, really great journalists have gone before and won. So it was really an amazing honor and really nice to be recognized in that way. Um, you know, the environmental community, uh, there's, uh, there's not a lot of, uh, funding that's available from them. Let's just put it that way. I'm really funded by more by the water districts and and uh, the water agencies because they're the ones that you know have the ability. And so it's great when an environmental organization recognizes my work and they just and and they understand that I'm not just a uh, voice for the water agencies, but a voice for. Um, everybody in California water, um, which is what I try to be. I try to, you know, 
I, I try to be as inclusive as possible of everybody's view. Yeah. Um, I, the only time I don't really is if uh, you it's a personal attack rather than a, a debate on a viewpoint um, or, you know, bad language <laughs> or, right. or uh, you right. know, unfounded allegations. You know, we don't get personal on these things. But, you right. know, I really, or if you're just factually wrong, sometimes some of these things, you know, if it comes out and slaps your face, it's just wrong, then I can't. But, you know, for the most part, I, I can put up everybody's everything, which is really what I try to do. So it was great to, ha- to be honored in that way. And we're very honored to have you on our show all the time, and we do appreciate you. And uh, I, I just Oh, wanna... it's a lot of fun. Well, we, yeah. I get to talk <laughs> yeah. to, to, like, the two people who read my blog. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we've missed you the last couple of weeks, actually, yeah. since, you've, since you've been gone. But anybody who reads the blog and the content on it, right, gets deep into the, into the matter of the material, knows that you keep a fairly uh, neutral position, right? Geneva, Swiss, however you want to phrase it. Yep. And, you know, I have to I have to thank uh, Mr. Mike Barron because he's the one who turned me on to uh, to your Maven's Notebook and uh, ever since then that's when we contacted you and, and uh, it was just awesome having you on the show and uh, keeping you on the show and I mean we get a lot of responses uh, from our listeners and now we have a new uh, email address for the show which I'll give out later I just got that up and going Exciting. but uh, we're we, we get lots of compliments. Uh, people tune in to hear what you say, and and, they, and now they they go read it every single day, so uh, that's nice and uh, and and, to, and very appreciative. Yes, and yeah. and, and we and we also uh, just so everybody knows we don't have a stake in Maven's Notebook here at the Water Zone, but you can contribute and help sponsor that as well as an individual, and uh, just go to mavensnotebook.com and read all about it and the information about sponsoring that, and uh, it gives Chris a little bit more things to to go forward with and and. Uh, Anything that our audience can do for you, we do appreciate that as well. So, All right. So, Chris, what's happening in water news this week? Well, you know, one thing that's important to bring up for, you know, our Southern California listeners is that Metropolitan has just pumped a whole bunch of money into their their landscape transformation program. They're given now a dollar per square foot of grass that you change over into something that's more water conservative. Um, and if depending on where you live, if, you know, you're me- if you're a member agency of Metropolitan, they, there may be even more money in it for you. Now, uh, I, I know I know you're neutral in 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 your in reporting. We were at a uh, an uh, irrigation association uh, conference a couple of years ago, and a lady named Inge Biscona, who does our ag show, was on, who did a report showing that the money that was spent on the first time that was done that if they took the same amount of money and invested it into the agriculture world, they would have saved, I don't know, 20 times more water or a bigger, gigantic number. I don't remember what it was off the top. With the same investment. With the same investment. Because do you think and or do you know how much water you know, was saved out of, out of the residential kind of thing versus what it could have been in the, in the other world of it? Well, I, I actually am not familiar with the numbers, but I will tell you this. Um, agriculture water conservation is really tricky because in a lot of instances in these basins, um, the water that they take off the field, the tail water, they put onto the next field, and sometimes it goes down the canal to another user, 
Um, also, that water trickles down through the roots and, and recharges the aquifer, right. which they then, again, will pump from and, and use. So, you know, while we all need, far, you know, agriculture uses the, the most water right. in the state. Well, I mean, that the environment, and it's debatable, you know, uh, which gets, you know, I mean, couldn't, 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 couldn't it offset the pumping, you know, buying the pumping equipment and the and the uh, the energy charges and things? I'm, I'm always thinking, you know, where do they get the biggest bang for the buck? It, you know, it's it's really hard to say, and I think you know, we all need to be efficient with our water, and that includes the farmers. But I'll also point out the farmers are also businessmen, right? And this uh, water is a major input. To their crop, and especially with you know water rates for, that they're paying, there are some in the Central Valley with very old contracts from the Bureau of Reclamation, and, and yeah, they get it for really cheap. But there are also a lot of farmers in, in Kern County, for example, that pay three hundred or more per acre foot of water. Um, so when and and pumping costs they're very they're very familiar with too, so it's like farmers or businessmen they don't waste the water. It's it's easy to kind of you know look at it you know, and sometimes sprinklers are wasteful. Sometimes sprinklers are the way to irrigate that particular crop. Not every field should be flooded. Not every field should be micro drip irrigated either, depending on the crop that you're growing. Right. It's just so, it's such a, there's so much texture to the issue of agriculture um, and saving water that I, it's hard to just go off the cuff and say they should be using less. You know, not, it's not appropriate for every field to be using micro drip irrigation depending on the crop that they're growing of course you know so it's and not every field can grow every kind of crop so no. you, you know, no. like, well, i understand i understand you know chris had sent sent me uh a copy uh, chris here had sent me a copy of the this rebate and right. i guess that you can't replace it with uh artificial turf or anything right. like that can't it can't be used for artificial turf right, right? i mean but they but they're calling it the landscape transformation program but it really is similar to what they did to what ended three years ago which was the turf Removal. rebate program yeah. right i mean this is essentially the same thing yeah right and you know i i i want to say i am not against people having grass it's just there's a lot of places where we are using grass where it's never walked upon. Well, it's like me, like medians in the road. I, I think that's a silly place to have it. And, you're, you know, cars are driving back and forth. And, you know, they, they personally, I don't care if it's real grass or not, you know, or, or phony grass. It's, it's just green and it looks nice. And, you know, especially when you're driving 60 miles an hour down the freeway, you could care less about that. But I know, yeah. I, I know we had Caltrans on, and, and they're trying to eliminate all kinds of overhead sprinkler, sprinkling systems and things of that sort. So, so that's, that's, I, I'm not against it. I think any way that we can help to conserve water is a good thing to do because we're going to need to do that going and forward. And I think that, you know, what it, it's the areas where grass is that it doesn't need to be. Those are the areas we need to address. If you have a family and you have a backyard and you use it, then, then by all means, you, right. know, you should have grass yeah, and you have should a water lawn. that. Right. 
But, you know, if you have a front yard that nobody ever, ever walks on, you know, maybe you could have, you could do something better that saves water. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was I was glad to see, Chris, in the press release that, that the Met put out that they're looking at, they put other requirements in there, right, to drive the sane sustainability. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds at casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Part of the program. Obviously, working on lessons they learned from the, from the first time around. But, uh, you know, let's let's see how it comes how it comes about and how it gets driven down to the consumer this time, because these, uh, you know, these rebates are going to the water agencies versus direct to the uh, consumer. Yeah. And, you know, water wise landscaping doesn't it doesn't mean uh, cactus and rock. It can mean other things that can be quite lovely. Uh, So, you know, we shouldn't always think that that's what. You know, you rip out your grass, and you must go to cactus and <laughs> ugly rock. Yeah, well, that, you know, the last time they did it, right? I mean, it, it spawned a, a mini industry, if you will, right? I mean, there were reputable as well as unreputable contractors that were oh, going yeah. and, and taking advantage of this program. So, oh, you know, there's yeah. lots and of different. Boy, yeah, there were some conversions that were going on that I, if someone came out and did that to my front lawn, I would cry. Uh-huh. Um, there's no, no other. No other way to put it. Well, there, yeah. there's even stories about Los Angeles with the Mayor Garcetti that he was involved in some of those companies and getting kickbacks and stuff. It wasn't proven, but you know how rumors start. But anyway, I, I think whatever we can do to help conserve water and use it more wisely is a smart thing to do anyway. And, yes, and, and, and make water it, and, and all of our resources, quite honestly, electricity and, and everything. You know, we should, we, don't, we should only use what we need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You know, but you're right, Chris. Right. It's it's sustainability is important. Uh, how you do the uh, transformation is important. I mean, you just you want somebody to come out there and just with a you know with a turf splitter and just rip up your turf, throw down a couple of yards of decomposed granite, some DG, and then throw in a couple of you know, ceanothus <laughs> or something. Right. I mean, it's uh, you know it's it's got to be done right in order to be sustainable. Yeah, yeah, and nobody should feel guilty because they have a patch of grass in their yard that they use. Right. You know, nobody, it's, it's, I, you know, we're not to that point yet. And I think that, you know, grass, having grass adds a lot of value in, in you know, certain instances and keeps it cool. And, and I, I, you know, I know I'm not supposed to take any position, so don't take this personally, but I'm not a big fan of artificial turf. <laughs> yeah. I'm not either, but... You're in good company. (laughs) Well, we're supposed to see a lot. We're supposed to see uh, social media on this. Oh, even TV commercials, right, as I remember reading in the press release. So it's going to be prevalent. now has conservation ads going all the time. I don't think they ever quite stopped after the drought. They've continued to remind us all that, you know, we need to be careful with this. Yeah, that's true. So, so you were saying that uh, Met also uh, decided to spend eleven million dollars on Delta tunnels. Oh well, actually, you know, Metropolitan on Tuesday had to take another vote 
on uh, whether they would go for supporting the uh, building the entire Delta Tunnel project, uh, which is something that they voted back, I think it was in April or May, but there were some allegations of Brown Act violations, that being the code that uh, people can't be discussing and making decisions uh, not in an open forum. The, you know, directors should not be calling up each other and, you know, persuading votes. And, and we want all. transparency. Yeah, yeah. And Metropolitan disputed the allegations, but but nonetheless, they decided to take a revote. And it was clear, you know, listening to the meeting that, you know, some of the directors really were, um, had a problem with some of the things that sort of came out in the, the public record request. Right. Um, but nonetheless, uh, they voted to uh, continue to, you know, to fund the rest of the Delta Tunnels project that currently is unfunded. So it goes beyond the amount that Metropolitan would uh, would have to pay for on their own. Um, with the idea that this extra capacity will be sold uh, to Central Valley farmers or other people who, you know, it's been hard for Central Valley Project, that's the federal farmers, uh, to participate in this because they have a whole different contract system and a whole different thing going on. I guess that's the easiest way to say it. So the bet that Metropolitan is making is that, you know, that the farmers can come and make deals or the districts can come and make deals with Metropolitan directly to get some of this water. And and Metropolitan is betting that that's what's going to happen. And, you know, I have to tell you, um, you know, with the fact that there's now groundwater regulation in the San Joaquin Valley, and on top of that, uh, last week the State Water Board uh, released their proposal for flow requirements for all the rivers in the Sacramento and San Joaquin basins, and they are saying that more water needs to be left in the streams in order to, you know, so we can continue to have our native fish like like the delta smelt that maybe you don't care about, but like the salmon, which a lot of people do care about. Um, can so, you eat? Can you eat the delta smelt? I know they're so no. they're so tiny, like <laughs> yeah, sar- like it's sardines, not a bait fish, and all that. It's you know, but it's kind of an indicator, and it's it's pretty much thought to be just about extinct. We don't know if there's going to be any more. I mean, I um, see its popularity of. if you substitute them for the anchovies on pizza. Maybe have a better taste. Yeah, <laughs> I <don't know>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But salmon is no joking matter. No, absolutely I mean, not. California salmon, you know, if, if your salmon is from California, I mean, most of it is coming out of the Delta. And right. there are fishermen um, who, you know, fish for salmon, and that's how they make a living. And when the salmon runs are dying, this is a big issue. Yeah, understood. So, and it's not easy. So, but... Rolling that back to Metropolitan's tunnel decision, you know, the Central Valley farmers now basically are going are being told you're going to have to manage your groundwater sustainably, meaning you can't, you know, pump it till it's dry. And the state water board is saying you're going to get less water out of the rivers because we want you to leave it in. So 
Central Valley farmers are going to want that water from yeah. Metropolitan. There's, there's, to me, uh, I don't see any way around that. No, that's uh, true. Uh, did, uh, last question I have for you, uh, both Chris's. Yeah. Uh, I had heard briefly today on the way in about a city in California, and I don't recall which one it was. They were complaining that they had really brown water with deep sediment in it, and the, the, their water agency didn't hold public meetings to talk about it. And, yeah, and, uh, and then yeah they w- that's the um, Sativa Water District. I think it serves about 1,800 customers mm-hmm. yeah, very down small in the Compton area, which is really kind of small. It's a, you know, uh, probably a legacy water system from, you know, when we were all small little... Los Angeles, a lot of small little towns all growing together. Right. Um, but, yeah, they've been unable to, you know, deliver clean water, and so the, a vote was taken, and they're going to dissolve uh, that water district and fold it into, figure out how to fold it into one of the larger systems in the area. Great so, idea. <laughs> yeah, good news for, for these people that have had to deal with groundwater. Yeah, I, 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 I have a hard line against water agencies, small ones that, and, and maybe some of the government officials who let that happen for years. It's, it's terrible. No one, no one should be able to drink crappy water. Sorry. That's just my, my yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Not, we not, know how to, we know how to deliver clean water to people's houses. Yep. We do. That's absolutely true. And not just, you know, drink it, but they have to bathe in it. They have to cook with it. Right. I mean, it's everything. Oh Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, you yeah. You yeah. give it you to know. little babies and kids and even adults. I mean, that's just that's just wrong. <laughs> well, also when you when you realize these, uh, especially those in the Central Valley, these farm workers who make you know hardly any money anyways, and they have to pay for the crappy water that comes out of their faucets, but they have to go and buy bottled water. No, being a human yeah. being in the United States, no one should be able to drink. Lousy water. I'm sorry. Yeah, no one should have to. You're <laughs> no. right. Yeah. Hey, back on the on the conservation issue, right? I saw an article, Chris, from U.S. Geological Survey. It was a report that came out <clears throat> that says, uh, as of this year, or as of the end of 2017, actually, that the per capita home water conservation, as compared to 1970. 1970 1970 levels was 9% lower than it was back then. Um, that just uh, that just amazes me and that, you know that's that's uh, that's also corroborated I think if I remember reading that article from um, average monthly water withdrawals that were registered by each state and reported to the US Geological Survey. Um, so when you look at water conservation and you know all the efforts that were going on, it really tells us that this is a journey, right? Not a not a destination. There's no end to it, and it's the new reality. That's that's absolutely true. And you know, I I would have to confess that I think that a lot of that water savings has come from uh, the easy, low hanging fruit, uh, making our our uh, appliances more water efficient using low flow toilets things that don't really we don't have to really think about just purchase the fixture and it does the job for you 
I think we're starting to move into the zone, though, where we're going to have to start thinking more about how we're using the water and not just counting on uh, efficiency of appliances to uh, make it all up for us. Where, 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 where in Asia, I, I heard this the other day, maybe one of you two could tell me, that in one of the Asian countries, they have a big water issue, and, and they're now making a law that you have to shower or bathe together. I'm not, no, I'm not joking. I'm really <laughs> serious about it, but I don't, I don't recall what. I'll have to look that up, but I, I did hear it the other day on the radio. It was someplace in Asia. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> My husband traveled to the Philippines, and, and he said that uh, in the Philippines it's very humid and, and they shower twice a day. Although, he said, the water is not hot. There's no water heater, and they don't stay in there very long. But, <laughs> no, uh, and they sell they sell mussels on the sides of the roads as you travel through the different provinces, and it comes from the most disgusting-looking water that yeah. you've ever seen, and they, they have barrels of these sitting by the sides of the roads as you're driving by, and people stop and buy these, and uh, it's just... Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's different out there. You know, I think it was Brazil or somebody was advocating, you know, you should just... Um, you know, urinate in the shower. <laughs> Pee in the shower when you take your shower. Don't don't go to the toilet. Well, it'll save a gallon. Yeah, well, <laughs> why not, you know? Yeah. Goes to the same place, I presume. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure it does. All right, so last on the last on the list here, as I was thinking about the uh, you know Metropolitan Waters Landscape Transformation Program, I just wanted to tag onto that a bit because I wanted to mention earlier when we were talking about the parameters around it and how the Met is going to do it. Right, um, changing out a lawn carte blanche without thinking about it, without doing a water audit, without doing anything like that. Right, so maybe some of the some of the requirements as as we start to refine these programs, and the MET does, should include some of the new science that's around water conservation, like water audits and how easy they are to do. But, you know, I, you, you rarely see that mentioned anymore. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to that. Um, and, no, you, you really do have to plan these, these landscape uh, changeovers. Yeah, wildlife, I, wildlife habitats, another, you know, another issue that, that can be a benefit from, from uh, landscape transformation. And, and pollinators. Right. Oh, my word. We had, we had um, a garden, and we, you know, we were having a heck of a time getting our, you know, vegetables and everything to grow. So my husband went and got some flowers and put them in there in the garden and set up a little bee thing. And what do you know, now we have... Uh, fruit and vegetables coming out of our garden, but yeah, right. you know, it really make it really does make a difference. Yeah, probably up until the early or mid 1980s, I wasn't really concerned with that. I wasn't a gardening fan or things like that. But when I started doing it, I mean, I caught the bug, and it's been a it's been a lifelong uh, hobby for uh, uh, for me. You know, I've got a half acre lot with a native garden, and I still have plenty of lawn, right? I enough to play croquet on. Uh, so there is a balance, Chris, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm trying to promote. And if you use your lawn, then you should have it. Hey, yeah. do you have a problem with brown snails? I do not, no. Oh, now I do not either, but I have to say a lot of people out here do, and the reason why I don't is that um, I bought, this has been hot topic for us out here on Nextdoor, on the Nextdoor program, the old Facebook for Neighbors. Um, you know, I 
I bought decolletes. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Snails. They're about 15 years ago. They're a predator of brown snails. They eat just the dead, your dead plant matter and the, the eggs of the brown snails. And I populated my yard with them. And 15 years later, I do not have any brown snails. That's a, uh, that's a good success story. It, it is. And it cost me 20 bucks. And that was 15 years ago. And still to this day, no brown snails. <laughs> All right, well, Chris, we're going to take a little break here, and uh, we will hope you'll be back next week. Oh, actually, uh, next week is our ag show. Ag show. Ag show. Next week is ag show? Yeah, so we'll have you in. Well, actually. No, I don't think it is. is no, it I, well, tell you what. I'll call you during we'll the check. week, because maybe we can still have you come on. Okay. Well, I'm always happy to come in and talk water. Absolutely. We love you. You're awesome, Chris. All right. So stick around for the second half. We'll be back with uh, Chris and Rob here on the Water Zone, and uh, we'll be right back again. Good night, guys. Good Good night. night. Did you know that an irrigation system that has a leak of just one thirty-second of an inch in diameter, that's the thickness of a dime, weighs 6,300 gallons of water per month or 75,000 gallons per year? Well, with more solvent cement experience than anyone on the planet, Weldon formulates their products not just to meet a standard, but to exceed it. Weldon products are designed to provide even greater safety margins, often able to make up for common mistakes or less than ideal installation conditions, reducing the chance for leaks and costly callbacks. Weldon's invention of solvent cement over 60 years ago revolutionized the piping industry. From day one, Weldon has led the industry with their broad range of high-performing solvent cements, primers, and cleaners, bringing unique solutions to professional contractors and homeowners. Along the way, Weldon has earned the loyalty of millions of professional contractors who trust their products and depend on their outstanding customer service, live technical hotline, troubleshooting services, and free training. And because they care about the environment, Weldon was the first manufacturer to develop and offer a complete line of low VOC cements. Their hottest formulation is Weldon 750 Hot Weld, a one-step, fast-setting blue PVC solvent cement specifically formulated for superior, long-term, trouble-free performance. So whether you're a professional contractor or just a backyard do-it-yourselfer, choose Weldon, the trusted global leader in solvent cements for leak-free plastic piping systems. To learn more about their complete line of products or technical training, visit the web at www.weldon.com or call their technical service hotline at 877-477-8327. Let's talk drought stress. No one likes burnt plants or grass, especially your customers. So when it's hotter than a tin roof in Tallahassee, what are you gonna do? Water the problem away? Not only does that abuse a vital resource, it's illegal in many cities. Here's a quick and easy solve that won't get you in trouble with Mother Nature or Johnny Law. Applied as a year-round program, Moisture Manager from Lesco supplements regular irrigation by attracting moisture to treated areas, thus making the moisture available to plant roots. 
This maintains wettability between waterings and rainfall, allowing soil to accept water as it becomes available, and making the water more accessible to the plant roots. Boom! More green, less watering, and a great new reason to see your customers on a recurring basis. With Lesco Moisture Manager and Site One, high heat is no sweat. Okay, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone. And Chris, you got some updates on the IA events? Yeah, actually, one of the uh, exciting parts about uh, the Irrigation Association Smart Irrigation Month, which is July, by the way, is that the IA announces their annual industry award winners, right? So that was uh, announced, I believe, on the 9th, or the uh, press release went out on, on July 9th. So there's, so there's three awards altogether, the Industry Achievement Award, then the Vanguard Award, and then the Excellence in Education Award. So just wanted to take a minute to uh, congratulate the winners of that. We'll, we'll help with, the, uh, with announcing it on the Water Zone show here. So the Industry Achievement Award this year goes to Jim Clauser. He's uh, from Clearwater Supply in Ontario, and he got that award for driving significant increases in the use of efficient irrigation technology. So congratulations there for Jim. Ontario, where? Ontario, Oregon. Oregon. Sorry, my just fault. Make, yep, just you're make sure. right. Good point. Good point. The second award, the Vanguard Award, that's uh, really an award that's given to innovate uh, for innovative irrigation projects. There's two Vanguard Awards that were issued. First one was to uh, Conserva Irrigation, uh, well known in the uh, irrigation industry for their work. Good group of guys. Good group of guys, yeah, for their work on uh, water savings uh, by changing the irrigation services approach, right? So it's a two year, they're two years into this project and they're doing it with the Target Corporation. Uh, so they've called it a sustainability project and so far saved about 36 million gallons for the Target. Uh, corporation. So congrats to Conserva. Second Vanguard Award goes to Netafim USA and their Variable Drip Irrigation Project, or VRDI, right, with Gallo Vineyards, and that resulted in... Uh, I'll drink in, to that. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> so, you know, I- increased into, uh, yields and improved water use efficiencies, so... <laughs> Great sound effects. Yeah. All right. The third award was the Excellent in Education Awards, and it's an in, it's an Irrigation Association Foundation Award for uh, excellent excellence, and it's issued to or awarded rather to uh, the educator or teacher or somebody who formerly taught irrigation. This year, it went to Franklin Gowdy, who is from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. You know the real Cal Poly. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. So, congrats to uh, Franklin. So. Uh, we have a great guest lined up now, Rob. Yes, for, we do. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Michael Marcus. He's the general manager of the Orange County uh, Groundwater Authority, and we caught up with him at a uh, recent um, uh, Orange County water uh, event. And uh, so here we go. Well, we're here with uh, Mr. Michael Marcus. He's the general manager for Orange County's Groundwater Authority. And Well, we're here with uh, Mr. Michael Marcus. He's the general manager for Orange County's Groundwater Authority, and he's joining us from the uh, Water What's Behind the Magic Symposium put on by Orange County Water, Metropolitan Water District of Orange County, if I say it correctly. I have Anaheim Utilities, but <laughs> so used to saying that all day long. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little about what uh, Orange County Groundwater Authority is and does? And 
Well, the, we're the Orange County Water District, and uh, what we do is we oversee and manage a very large groundwater basin in central and northern Orange County. Uh, in this area of Orange County, which is approximately 2.5 million people, uh, they are able to pump groundwater as 75% of the water that they use. So that's very important because those cities then only have to rely on 25% of their supply from imported sources. We, we call imported water, water that we receive from the Colorado River or Northern California. And the significance of, of that is groundwater costs about half of what imported water does. So our overall cost of water supply is, is lower because of this groundwater basin. Now your program has been pretty successful. I've been to one of the demonstrations where they have a glass and he passes it around and anybody wants to take a drink. And some people are reluctant to do that, but, but it's amazing at what you can do and, and how important that is here. And, and, and other places like in Los Angeles is trying to, they're doing it. Uh, but you guys were sort of a pioneer here to, uh, to push that forward. Yeah, we, we have been pioneers. You're right. And, and it's funny because it really started back in the 1970s. Uh, we built a facility in uh, Fountain Valley in Orange County here, uh, which was called Water Factory 21. And that facility was the first facility in the world to use reverse osmosis technology to treat wastewater and turn it into nearly distilled quality water. So we've been familiar with uh, reverse osmosis technology uh, for over 40 years. Uh, and in fact, had that facility, it supplied water to the groundwater basin, and we have a seawater barrier also. We, uh, the water supplied uh, water to the barrier. And then the project you referred to, the groundwater replenishment system, uh, replaced the old water factory. So the groundwater replenishment system provides 100 million gallons of highly purified recycled water as a source of supply for our groundwater basin. Do you, you know, since it's been so successful, have you shared, I mean, I'm sure you publish documents and things and go to, go to symposiums all over the country and maybe all over the world. Has any other places outside California really started to adopt stuff like this? Yeah, the, the uh, kind of the first major implementer was actually the country of Singapore. And uh, they're a very interesting case in point because they used to be a part of Malaysia, they seceded mm -hmm. from Malaysia, and yet were totally dependent on their water supply from Malaysia. And so they had to develop their own sources of supply and they turned to uh, recycled water. Uh, in fact, when we were doing our testing of the technology back in the mid-1990s, uh, Singapore came over and we shared our pilot testing uh, on the microfiltration and the reverse osmosis and the UV technologies with them and then they moved forward and implemented a little bit quicker than we did uh, but they implemented it it's part of their water supply uh, so they've they have uh, quite a few facilities actually on the island that uh, uh, provide um, a major portion of their water supply and then we've had others uh, these types of projects have been developed in Texas uh, Certainly San Diego is looking at developing mm -hmm. one. They're in the final design of what they call their pure water project. Uh, LA is looking at a similar type project. Uh, up in the Bay Area, Santa Clara Valley Water District has implemented uh, a 10 million gallon per day 
advanced uh, purification facility. So we're starting to see more and more being developed and uh, put into implementation. And then even, even uh, the Orange County Water District, we're looking at our final expansion. We, we started out at 70 million gallons. Uh, hmm. We then expanded to 100 million gallons, and we have the capacity to go to 130 million gallons. So we're in the final design right now for our final expansion, and hopefully in about four years we'll be up and running at 130 million gallons per day, which would be enough water for one million people. Excellent. How much of your connection base, your customers, your clients, are aware of uh, the uh, technology that uh, you're using to... You know, probably not as many as we'd like to. I, I often Do you have when, outreach and things. Oh, like that we have too. tremendous outreach, and uh, we had to have outreach really when we started implementing our original recycled water plant. Uh, so we started in the late '90s when we were even before we started the design of the original project mm-hmm. with the outreach because we knew what can can happen. Projects well, that's twenty years ago. Yeah. That was a long time ago, and, and the outreach has been ongoing also. We give, we give tours of the facility, we have a speakers bureau, we go out and we talk to people, uh, and, and we do try to spread the word. We get a tremendous amount of people from all over the world that visit us and, and take a look at what we're, we're doing uh, as well, but it still really isn't enough. And, and I, I often say that as a water community, the water community in general, really does a poor job of communicating to people, to mm-hmm. educating people as to where their water comes from. We all take it for granted, right? In the morning we turn the spigot on, the water comes out, and yet we don't realize how that water got to our house. Right. You know, just the plumbing within the house, and then to go outside into the street, and then to a reservoir and a pump station, mm-hmm. and, and it may have come from an aqueduct uh, from right. the Colorado River, Northern California. No clue. We just know it always comes out. And I mean, part of that is a testimony to the to the water industry that it is so reliable that we have such reliable, so, safe drinking water, right. but. We really need to educate people as to where the water comes from and have them develop a what I call a water ethic yeah. on how we use our water sure. because we use uh, quite a bit of water. Uh, I think we do a nice job of, uh, uh, of tracking the usage inside the house, low flush toilets, low flow shower heads. I mean, we all have those. Right. Uh, it's on the outside where most of the water is used where we need to dial it back a little bit right. and that's where yeah. like I said if we start thinking about things uh, we can we can do that hey let's put my timer on three times a week it's raining let me let's turn it off mm-hmm. uh, and, and when we start developing that ethic I think we'll see uh, we'll be able to kind of uh, increase the population just like we've done and not necessarily increase the water demands. Yeah, outreach can be very valuable unless you have a, an uninterested or an apathetic audience, right? They don't really know about it or they're not interested in it. So uh, being able to reach those customers and, and make, the import, make the value and the importance of the technology you're using, that's a big important part of it. I think we see that in millennials and young people right. today. But those of us who grew up without conservation in the beginning, it's sort of like, do you think that the public really understands the true value of water? Uh, as, as an example, we all can go to the gas station and put gas in our cars. We take the nozzle, stick it in, and you can watch the pump go. And you can see, oh, I'm up to $10, I'm up to $20, I'm up to $60. But they know that instantaneously. They know it right then and there. Unlike our water bills, 
you don't know until you after get the, the bill. Fact. Yeah, after the fact to do that. And, and so I don't, I don't know if the public really understands the true value. I, we, we've had people, and we've met and, and been on our show, uh, the Consulate General of Israel, and another author from, uh, from New York, a gentleman named Seth Siegel, wrote a book called Let There Be Water. He, he's been on twice and things. And, and, and they were explaining how they recycle water. And we were surprised to learn that their, their enemies around them buy water from Israel and how much Israel recycles the water and how they mine it, how they take, take the, the, uh, the toilet paper, I guess is the way he told it to me, and they take that and they recycle that, uh, the, the um, uh, oils that are in there, they take that out and then that's it, resold again. And, and how, I know that their, their system is different, it's operated by the government, but they're very strict, but they said even the kids at school know you don't turn this water on or you don't do this. We don't have that yet here. No, and, and it's interesting. I, I think that where it really starts is educating the children. Mm. Uh, at the Orange County Water District, we have an annual event called the Children's Education Water Festival. And it's a two-day event, uh, third, fourth, and fifth graders. We, we get over 7,000 students in that two-day period. And they just go to different... Uh, 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 tents where they have hands-on type activities and we try to uh, you know they'll take that home and then they'll tell their parents and educate their parents uh, but it really has to start uh, I, I think with them and then and then kind of trickle up so if we can get something in the curriculum mm -hmm. that would help them in the classroom not just a one or two day event right. but something in the curriculum that teaches them about water I think that certainly would be a major step in the right direction how, how can that be communicated to the the superintendent of schools in California. I mean, is there ongoing conversation with them to say, hey, let's talk about this, and can, can we include this as a subject versus some of the, the ones that they're doing today? You know, I, it's not being talked about, and and that's the problem. And that's, where, again, where I say we as a water community are fall, falling down. Uh, however, we are starting, I, I know at the district with my public affairs staff, we are starting to have these conversations, have the conversations with others. Uh, it'll have to percolate up through uh, maybe an association like Aqua, uh, the association, association of California Water Agencies, to get to the state uh, superintendent and start promoting these ideas. Uh, but I, I think that that's really one of the uh, one of the keys because you're right. I mean people do kind of ignore the water bill. Sure. I think to a large extent It's because it's it's so inexpensive. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean Mine, it's just my wife and I now but we live in a, a four-bedroom home and no pool But it, it's only about thirty dollars a month yeah. And and so you you take it for granted it it per, the cost of water probably is underpriced truth It's like when the gas got up in my neighborhood most of the people are you know upper middle class and, and uh, they have company cars and the credit mm -hmm. cards so it's I don't care if it's four dollars for gas and they plop it in and <laughs> do that but the water water is a different thing and, and it's unfortunate that people don't know as we were talking to uh, Fritz Coleman a few minutes ago you know just think if a major earthquake hits and, and, and damages our major water I mean we I, I still want to see somebody in legislation say the top three issues are, you know, this, this, and this, and water should be one of those top three. Because you can't build any more homes, you can't have hospitals, you can't grow food, you can't live without water. And to me, that should be one of the major things. With all this, all this stuff that they're building or they're spending money on, and I, I won't go into it here, but uh, I'm trying not to be political, but there's a lot of things that they're spending money on. And, and, and I, I'm nervous because when I hear things 
like they were talking about this this possible tax this morning. You know, how do I know that the money is going to go to that? Everything, every time I hear something like that, a year down the road, oh, well, they took the money from this, like, like we're supposed to fix the roads. They take the money from that, divert it somewhere else, and yet we're paying money on it. And, and nobody holds them accountable for it. I guess the only way we do is when we vote for them, but the same people keep getting in and in. It just gets blind, blindsided. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And, and water does drive the economy. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and water is a necessity of life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, right now, I think the way that things are handled, uh, it, the system works, works well. Uh, you have the local control. I think that's important that people have that type of control to mm -hmm. decide whether they want to develop the projects, whether they want to spend the money to mm -hmm. develop the projects. I mean, our recycled water program, by the time we're done with it, it's a capital investment of uh, $900 million. Yeah. And, and uh, our O&M costs are about $20 million a year. So it's, it's, it's a commitment. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we can still produce the water at uh, a lower cost than imported water, so it so it makes sense, and we have the the water supply reliability. Uh, we don't have to worry about cutbacks on the delta or drought on the Colorado River. Our recycled water delivers the same amount of water every day. I'd be I'd be interested to know to what level do you treat that recycled water before you put it back in, into a recharge basin? I'm, I'm assuming so it can percolate down into the aquifer. We treat it to a an uh, extremely high level. Okay. Uh, so the water that we receive, we receive the water, the wastewater from the Orange County Sanitation mm -hmm. District. So that's a different agency and they treat the municipal and the industrial waste mm -hmm. in the same service area, the same 2.5 million people. So they, they treat that wastewater, they mm -hmm. treat it to what's called secondary mm -hmm. levels, uh, such that it's safe to discharge to the ocean. But instead of discharging it to the ocean, we want to we capture in. it, we want to pull it back in. We do not consider wastewater a waste, we consider it a resource. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we run it through this advanced treatment process. So we run it through microfiltration, right. uh, which removes all the bacteria, the protozoa, the suspended solids in the water. And then it goes through reverse osmosis, which really is the workhorse mm -hmm. of the treatment process. So the reverse osmosis will remove any of the dissolved minerals, uh, viruses, uh, pharmaceuticals in the UV out of the, out of the water. The UV is a final step. So reverse osmosis removes just about everything except some really, really small organic compounds. And do you add more salts back or anything back into it? Well, at, first we, we send it. it through the UV, and the right. UV gets rid of the, the organics. Now the water, has, we've stripped out almost all the minerals out of the water. So we do have to add some uh, lime back into the water to, uh, to stabilize it. If we did not add some minerals back at the end of the process, when we put the water in our cement mortar lined piping, uh, the water would try to leach the minerals out of the cement lining and over time dissolve right. it. So we do add a little bit of <clears throat> mineral back into the water, but not that much. Okay. A, lot of, a lot of homeowners or businesses talk to us about uh, our products, and, and again, we don't promote, it's not our business to promote our product on the radio, but one of the interesting things, they said, well, you know, you can, you can get non-potable water, and why should, you know, it's, it's so cheap, and, and we don't have to worry about it. And I go, well, 
there's only a certain amount of that available at the moment. So I'm sure down the road when it gets scarce, economic says it's going to raise. Plus, you can't put in a whole new system to a house that's already existing and, and have the water agency put a whole new piping system in so they can, I mean, that's ripping up every street, everything to deliver a secondary system, which I can't see is ever going to happen to that. Well, it, it, it happens to a lesser degree. So non-potable recycled water, you're right. It requires uh, less treatment than what we currently provide. So it would just be the equivalent of taking that secondary effluent and running it through our first step, mm -hmm. microfiltration. Then you could take that water and use it for irrigation purposes, Correct. golf courses, green belts. But you're right, it takes a separate system. You have to run to handle, it. Yeah. Uh, to, to handle that, uh, that non-potable water. Often it's put in purple pipes. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's referred to as purple, purple pipe, pipe water. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that's non-potable tertiary treated water you know, in those you know purple what I, pipes. What I don't see, and Chris and I were talking about this a couple yeah. of weeks ago, you go to the parks, parks and recreation department, city things, where they use the non-potable water. And they take regular hose, put it green, brown, black, mm. whatever, squirts. But it's non-potable water. Why shouldn't it be purple? Because people don't know. I mean, people know that purple means that. So I can imagine some kids picking this up. Hey, it's just a regular hose. Let's, let's take a drink of water and stuff like that. But there's no, there's no regulation to say that if you're using that kind of system, everything should be purple that's attached to it. <laughs> it, it, it is up to the spigot. The, the spigot has to be clearly identified. Right. Yes. Uh, but but you're right. If if you uh, hook a hose up to yeah, it, yeah. and then and then turn it on, no one has an idea if it's that hose is a user, right? Yeah, so it's up yeah. to yeah, it's up to them to do that. But it's I, not a bad idea. I like I like that actually. Purple hose <laughs> yeah. for non-reclaimable water. Yeah, I have seen uh, just recently in the last it's just the first part of this year in Utah and in Florida where I visited where. Uh, developers now are being required to build new homes with uh, potable and non-potable uh, piping. And I'm sure they pay for that or they have... Uh, you like you the, do, the right? And we had the opportunity to sit down with a couple of developers and ask them you know, some questions. And it, it's it, you'd be surprised it's not that much more uh, to the cost of the home. Because it's not internal piping, right? The drainage part is and the collection part is. But to deliver it to use in that home or back into a municipal water uh, system is not that expensive. The thing you have to worry about those cross connections. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if someone if someone digs up the yep. purple pipe in their front yard and yep. taps into it yeah, and, exactly. uh, and then uses it, so. exactly the very thing that was the first thing that came up when we were talking to those guys. So, so you attended this uh, event today. What yeah. is the biggest takeaway that you got? As a water agency, yeah, I think the uh, the biggest takeaway. I mean, the theme kind of been was unintended uh, consequences. Uh, I, I think there was uh, today. The thing for me was uh, one of the sessions that talked about the water tax, the mining mm -hmm. bill, and uh, and the alternatives that might be available in lieu of uh, the mining bill. So I, I was particularly. Uh, I think impressed with uh, Paul Jones's talk mm -hmm. from uh, Eastern, Eastern, the general manager from Eastern Municipal, 
and what Eastern has done in developing the legislation that they're pushing, which to me seems like a more practical approach to look to try to consolidate those smaller districts and then maybe have a single provider provide the water. That seems like a, a very sensible and uh, cost-effective way to, to handle the problem because it is a problem and it has been a problem. You know, we all hear, all knew about the Flint, Michigan thing, but we were surprised right after that to hear about all the places in California that are having problems like that. And, and I agree with, you know, I, I, I'm sensitive to the thing that we're all human beings and we should treat people as human beings and, and, and you don't give them dirty or contaminated water. I totally agree with that. But I, but I also think that legislation uh, legislatures should talk more with water people. And I, I know they say they do. But before they launch this thing off to go do and, and think of all the alternatives, they don't. It's, it's always easy to say let's tax and never get to the root cause. And uh, so I'm glad I heard heard some of that today. And uh, yeah, I, I think it was very well thought out because I, I agree with you. Sometime I think legislators will take kind of a knee jerk reaction to things, and and say, yeah, the tax is the easy way to do it. We'll just charge everyone, and then we'll figure out what to do with the money. But. Uh, it appears the legislation that Eastern is proposing is very well thought out and uh, doesn't has a de minimis impact uh, fiscally for the uh, the state of California. Now just a silly question. I know when uh, they started recycling this water, the terms from all the newspaper the news people were toilet to tap. Mm -hmm. and I don't think you promote it that way anymore. Or, 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 do you, or, or was that a smarter way to do it at the beginning? Was it was it a good thing to do or that you realized maybe it shouldn't be that way? Or does it scare people? <laughs> you know, I think it could scare people. That was mainly used uh, by opponents of the project in San Diego back in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, it had also been used up in the San Gabriel Valley uh, where a similar type project was being developed at a, at a similar time. And uh, yeah. There again, it's just a matter of educating people. You go, no, this is not toilet to tap. <laughs> toilet to tap implies it goes from the, the toilet straight into the water system, right? That was pretty interesting, and uh, we're going to continue that on the next show so we know a little bit more about what's uh, happening. Anyway, most important thing is to, uh, when you go home, is to think, think blue. blue. Everybody had a good evening, and we'll catch you next week. Have a good one. Bye, everyone. CAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5.